I had the uh, the tennis simulation running, um, but um, I was playing um, doubles with um, Reavers Chorus. Nice. Uh, but that, yeah, it's not that much fun. They're all telepathically linked, which is fine for the two on the other team. But they're also picking up everything that she's going to do. We got fucking schooled. I uh, was playing mixed doubles as well, uh, but the problem was I, I uh, Data was the last guy that was in there. Uh, so I was playing it with uh, Einstein, uh, Thomas Edison, <laughs> and uh, Stephen Hawking. And guess who was on fucking Muggins' team? <laughs> oh, well, that's the better way it could have gone, because the last time I went in there after Data, I had to play against the sentient Pete Sampras. Uh, <laughs> you've not, you've not I mean, they, they don't have Boris Becker. Something happened to him, uh, so he's not allowed to. All right, Guinan, how you doing? Two pints, please. Mm. Yeah, black stuff. Yeah, yeah thanks, mate. Um, yeah. Whatever you do with the tennis simulation, don't try Bjorn Borg. It's a different thing. It doesn't work as well. It's it's horrible. Hey, what the? Where's what it? Where's the table? Yeah, Guinan. Where's the? You know the big stone and metal bastard. Yeah. Yeah. What? Oh. Oh. Is there another conference? In... Oh, for fuck's sake! Fucking peace mediation. How long? How long is it going to be gone? How long is it going to be gone for, Guinan? He needs to teach him what. Podcasts. A frontier. These are the voyages of Mark and Ellie. Our ongoing mission to explore strange new episodes. To seek out new jokes and new references. To split infinitives that no one has split before. Captain Slog, Stardate, whatever. Uh, these are the continued voyages of me, Eddie Edwards, and my friend and colleague, Mr. Mark O'Neill, as we track our way through all of Star Trek. Uh, anyway, Mark, Mark, how you been? How you doing? Are you, are you well? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty great. I've just had a wee nap. <laughs> so in my family, right? Right. There are... <clears throat> we, I, I, I don't, obviously, this gene didn't rub off on me because I never repeat myself. But we <laughs> love to tell the same stories over and over and over again for fucking years, right? And, like, the most insignificant thing will happen and, and it will get brought up at every family party basically forever, right? Yeah. I, I, you can You can... You can time how drunk everyone is getting at a family party based on what particular story is being told at that exact time, right? It'll be, remember that time that Mark almost went into the women's toilets in Florida? Not did. I didn't actually go in. <laughs> I, I noticed I was about to go in and stopped. Um, and that was in 2004. Um, and it's, and it's, that's like a top, that's a top five story. That's a story of you. Literally taking two steps in the wrong direction, I would imagine. Yeah. And I literally <laughs> saw this sign and went, oh, and then went for it, right? Because I think I was talking to my auntie at the time and was a bit distracted to talk to her. So I was like, oh, this is a woman's. <laughs> and uh, a new one. It's it's nice to see the, the, birth, the birth of a new one, the birth of one that will last presumably for generations, <laughs> uh, which has, has just happened today. Hot off the presses, Eddie. I'm going to send you something, right? Right, and uh, I want you. I want you to have a look at it. So this is my nephew. Okay. Uh, this is a, a picture of my baby nephew taken through his 
sort of baby camera. I don't. I <laughs> fucking baby watch. I don't fucking know. I don't have kids, right? Ba- baby cam. Baby cam. Right. I'm sending you that on 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 Messenger. Have have a little look at that. Uh. Okay. You see anything? See anything weird? Something strange, perhaps? Uh. It's. It's a very unclear picture. I'll, I'll try and describe what I can see here to the the listener. From what I can see, there's like a, a head at the back, uh, yep. like a round thing. There's like a pillow, some duvet, and a hand coming up over the top. Right. The hand looks too large, but maybe I'm now just criticising the body proportions of a baby. <laughs> that's a problem. It's a difficult question because if I say, you know, there is some, it looks weird. Yeah. But I don't want to say Something anything. Something weird, in many ways, doesn't look good. Yeah, it does look a bit... Ghost-like? There... Yeah, there's some... Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I can see where you're coming from. So there's so basically, to, to, to truly describe what this picture looks like, there's a picture of a baby in a crib, and the folds on the blanket give the optical illusion that there is a hand hugging this baby. Yeah, that's, right. I mean, because that's the thing, is there's no colour. I feel that needs to be pointed out. There's no colour. This is like a yeah. bluish tone. Yeah, which, as we all know, is the colour of ghosts. I'll give you now, that. there is no ghost in that photograph. Whoa, 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 back up. That we know of. <laughs> <laughs> because ghosts don't exist. That was sent to my personal family WhatsApp, like the like my personal family unit, mm-hmm. Right. And I've had to all all of my that's clearly just an optical illusion. Yep. I've had to get all of that chat out against, and I do feel sad, right? Because in a way, <laughs> I want my mum to be able to enjoy this, to think that there's a ghost. It's like essentially uninvitedly hugging a child. Like you, it hasn't been invited, I imagine. Yeah, you're the same as me, though. It's the same attitude, which is I am a, I am at heart a skeptic and a rationalist. I don't believe in the supernatural. And I think you'd agree with me, you're in a similar boat, but both of us have the position, which is, God, I'd love to be wrong. Like, yeah, if, if I, somebody brought me incontrovertible proof of, like, fucking Bigfoot or the supernatural, that's it, that's my life, I, like, my normal life is done. I'm a Bigfoot hunter now. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's all I've, <laughs> I've said it multiple times on this podcast, when Laura and I have kids, I will be the one that will believe them. Like, as soon as one of my kids is like, there's definitely a monster under my bed, and Laura's like, fuck off, back to bed. I'll be like, whoa, 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 hold on, honey. Let's <laughs> let's not get too hasty. Let's let's at least have a look under the bed. Yeah, right? let's at least confirm and verify. Like, yeah. you know, I'm not, I, look, here's the thing, I don't think, I don't think werewolves are real. But if they are real, I want to be a werewolf. <laughs> no, if werewolves are real, I'm out of here. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot they're your, your worst... Your worst fear of all of the supernatural beasts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just stay indoors three days a week, man. It's fucking easy. It's not like vampires. Just avoid big dogs. <laughs> vampires can fly and shit. I've had to. I've had to get all of my. Basically, basically, I am a bit of an asshole skeptic. Like I will ruin people's fun. Yeah. Because I think it's more interesting. Like, the fact that we are able to look at that photograph and perceive it as being a hand when it isn't. Yeah. I, I think is more, says more about the human condition and is more interesting than going, it's a ghost. The, 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 the finger placement is wrong. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to have to pick my battles on this one. This story is going to get brought up at every family gathering, oh, yeah. presumably for the rest of my life. And I'm I'm just going to have to take it. I mean, if if, if you think it's going to get brought up a lot now, if that yeah. if that kid has SIDS, then then it's definitely getting brought up ad infinitum. Because <laughs> then it's the story of how your the baby was killed by a ghost. Uh. I'm related to this kid. This is this is a kid I have. Quite a, quite a lot of positive <laughs> feelings towards. I... I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it will happen, nor that I want it to happen. I'm just pointing out that should it happen, this is definitely going to be brought up. <laughs> yeah, and 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 look, I'm. I get it. I'm the ba- I'm the bad guy here, right? I I I wish I could just let people have fun, but I can't <laughs> because the longer that we insist on believing in ghosts, the further away space travel gets. <laughs> And this isn't a fucking this isn't a Ghostbusters podcast, mate. This is a Star Trek podcast. We don't know how the warp core operates, Mark. Maybe every warp core is powered <laughs> by ghosts. <laughs> Do you think what is Star Trek uh, in the canonical Ghostbusters you... universe? Yeah, we don't know. I mean, okay, because so... that that is the problem. That's that's you know that the issue. One 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 of the parts of the Twinkie line is that the is is that the concentration of supernatural energy in New York is getting to an explosive point. A, an explosion creates energy, as yeah. we see when Walter Peck turns off the containment unit. So conceivably, if we catch enough ghosts and get them into a warp core, we could use them to travel faster than light. The the timeline of Star Trek's development of the warp core. Is that the warp core is developed after the like atomic horror? Like there's a big nuclear war that happens, and after that we develop the warp core. Now, one that would have erased any reference to the work of Doctor Spengler, like there's a, that could have easily been lost in time. And two would have created a significant number of ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I mean. It's the best thing about the Ghostbusting business, isn't it? It's the only thing we're making more of. <clears throat> I thought the best thing about the Ghostbusting business was just that busting makes you feel good. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, if there's any hardcore Ghostbusters fans listening to this, yeah, I do recognise that the ghosts only start to appear because it's coming around the time for Gozer's re-arrival. All right? I understand that. Yeah, but both... both uh, well, I don't think we've discussed this on the podcast, but both me and Mark are personally of the opinion that there's only actually one significant supernatural threat in the Ghostbusters universe. It is Gozer, and it's Gozer's... Con- and that's why it's acceptable that that is the plotline in Ghostbusters Afterlife. There's other problems with Ghostbusters Afterlife, but that's not one of them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, if you, and if you believe that the video game is canon, which I am iffy on... Uh, even even the slime and Vigo is attached to Goza mm-hmm. in some way. Yeah, it's all to do with fucking Shandor. So Shand- I mean, Go- and Goza could just be a Q. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> we've solved it. We've we've successfully married my two favourite franchises. <laughs> and actually, I totally believe that Q would arrive from an alternate dimension to enslave all mankind and then give up, not because it was defeated, but just because it likes Bill Murray. Yeah. <laughs> Which is another plausible read of the events. <laughs> if it was a cue, then then the line in Ghostbusters 2 when, when Venkman says, uh, only a Carpathian would choose to come back to life now and pick New York. <laughs> <laughs> 
instead of being in the San, what is it, the, the San Fernando Valley. Um, if it was a queue, it would have just gone, no, good point. <laughs> I'm going to go where it's sunny. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go at the Algarve. <laughs> Surely they've got a museum of modern art. <laughs> Does the painting of Vigo count as modern art? Because it's fucking yeah. old. Uh, <laughs> I, I went I went to that museum. Oh, really? Um, yeah, it, it's actually, it's called the Alexander Hamilton House. And oh. what's inside it is the uh, the Museum of the American Indian. Oh, okay. Which is pretty fascinating. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. Um, in, also, I just want to say, quick, if anybody like, wants to be hyper-woke about this, um, Indian is actually the acceptable term according to the Native American population themselves. They kind of, they're fine with it if you speak to them for the most part. So... Take- and that's what the fucking museum's called. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not in charge of museums. <laughs> also, that museum is in Battery Park, which means that the final confrontation in Ghostbusters 2 takes place literally next door to the Men in Black headquarters. Yeah, and also significantly closer to where the Statue of Liberty... Like, you wouldn't have to go down the street. Battery Park's right at the point. Yeah, it's, All it would do is crack... It would just step <laughs> on the park. <laughs> Yeah, if anything, the Ghostbusters. Well, no, it does make sense because they obviously have to. They have to use the, the whole point of getting the Statue of Liberty is to get the positive energy up. Yeah, so, so they, do they a would circuit. have to go on a sort of a victory lap. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's. That, I mean, to be fair, this is danger of doing the thing that we always worry our Star Trek podcast will do, which is just turn into a Ghostbusters podcast. So we should. Oh, prob- and also a, a peer, Sorry, just to, just to get over it because I thought this is pretty incredible. Uh, pier twelve, which is where the Titanic uh, should have uh, arrived. Oh yeah, they've still got the gate, oh. like the original metal gate that the passengers would have come through. It's rusted as fuck. Like it's it's bugger. Um, but they still have that at that pier. Okay. Which I thought was pretty cool. So if the ghost Titanic does turn up, it could disembark? Yeah. Okay. Well, they wouldn't be able to get through the gate because according to Supernatural, I anticipates ghosts. Yeah. So imagine if you were a, a Titanic ghost and the rules of ghosts are that you haunt where you die. All of these ghosts have spent fucking nearly a hundred, over a hundred years... 110 years underwater, finally someone dredges it up, brings it to New York, and you're, you're like, my God, I'm finally finishing this journey uh, after after over a century. I finally made it to, to live the immigrant dream in America, and you get there, and there's a literal and metaphorical gateway <laughs> stopping you from entering that country, which I think says more about American immigration policy um, than, the, than the makers of Ghostbusters perhaps wanted to say. <laughs> Oh, but then surely they, they, that falls apart though, because if iron dissipates ghosts, and therefore you can't get through. They wouldn't be allowed. They can't have ghosts on the Titanic because it's that's what it's made of. That means all the ghosts must just be in the freezing water. <laughs> Fucking hell, that's miserable. They should walk. Yeah, pull out your fingers, lads. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's no a long time. <laughs> you should have made landfall by now, for fuck's sake. Yeah, let's find out how long does it take to walk the length of the Atlantic. <laughs> Any ghost of the Titanic that hasn't yet made it to New York, that's on them. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they, point. maybe they like it down there. They're trying to build a wooden ghost ship. They need a not a dead trace. <laughs> <laughs> it is better down where it's wetter. Um, how are you doing? Oh uh, yeah, yeah, I'm all right. 
I've weirdly we've restarted me, me and Emma have started watching Supernatural from the beginning, and that's a hell of a lot of fun in terms of a oh it's that like uh, the girlfriend Jesse who gets murdered on the ceiling is uh, second in command on the Orville. Yep. The second episode where they hunt a Wendigo, the annoying little teenage brother, is fucking um, Han Solo. Han yeah. And also the best character in Hail Caesar. Yeah. It's, I've, I've started watching it because I dropped off about season 13 and we figured we might go through it all and finally see how it ended up. Because even when Supernatural jumped the shark, it still remained very entertaining. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're at season five at the moment and we're coming up, we're coming up to the point where it's like, we could drop off now. And just pretend that there is no more of it. Yeah, but then but, you miss out on a lot of like really fun, silly stuff that comes along later. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, let's talk about Star Trek. Let's except, do it. Fourteen except... minutes into your Star Trek podcast, <laughs> uh, we watch Loud as a Whisper. What's the the plot of this? Is pretty basic, isn't it? It's, they they go get a mediator to like settle a dispute between two aliens and he's um, he's deaf yeah and he communicates telepathically that's pretty much it <laughs> yeah that's that yeah that's uh, and uh it's an oh, issue uh, an issue his his in, so he he talks through interpreters that he telepathically speaks to and they get killed and it's, it's a a super fun vaporization where it's like everything disappears apart from their skeletons, then their skeletons disappear, then they explode. <laughs> it's it's I I, uh, so, I so the the birth of this episode I did some research is the actor who's in it um, the the guy who's playing the deaf character is actually a deaf actor called oh fun uh, um, something I C- meant to look this up but I didn't. yeah his name is I think Howard Sego. And on the like, Wikipedia page, it was like, oh, Howard Seago pitched the idea to the producers of doing an episode about a deaf character. Did they do it through three other people? Well, <laughs> it doesn't mention that, but the more important and annoying thing to me as a fan of Star Trek is it that's the whole thing. It doesn't say, Howard Seago managed to talk to the producers of Star Trek and give any information on that part of the process, yeah. right? which I feel is the more like I like tell me how I can pitch ideas to the people who make Star Trek I've got better ideas than this just get deaf uh yeah they wanted him to have to like talk at the end of the episode and then he was like no because apparently like that's a thing deaf kids are like forced to talk like well, yeah. at least were in the 80s yeah and um he didn't want that to be a thing so fair play there's as I as I said to you in sort of pre-chat messages there's a this is a very positive disability this is a very disability positive episode um especially i i really appreciate the uh because so the way that it works is that this this guy he he is deaf right so he's he's from a planet and he's part of the royal family yeah but their family through a genetic disorder do not have the brain the part of your brain that, that allows you to, to comprehend hearing. Before we continue, I very right. much need to bring up that very specific point. Because as they're talking about that, they say how, like, on your Earth, the Habsburg line had no uh, had haemophilia. Yeah. And then they also specifically mention another alien race. And they go, or like how the ruling family of, like, Seagos 4 have no limbs. <laughs> Which is 
maybe my favourite joke so far in all of <laughs> in everything we've seen because it's. <laughs> Yeah. So oh. yes, the rule. Uh, oh no, that's it. Even it gets even better because I've got it written down. I can see it in my notes. It's the rulers of Handos Five. Have yep. no limbs. You're in. You're in. Your planet's entire thing is hands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because what they don't explain is how many limbs they don't have. Everyone else on that planet has twelve arms. <laughs> Pianos are really, really long. How do you get look? Uh, look if you know anything about how monarchies are formed, right? It's through blood and violence. How do you get to that if you like, you're basically a head on a stick that's being carried around? Right? I guess. I guess it's. I guess it's the same rule as you wouldn't hit a guy with glasses. They they become the monarchs through just like just every everyone else gets killed and then everyone's like, oh, oh. Actually, I better not kill the limbless guy. No, that's I've just worked it out. How do you get rid of rules? Beheading doesn't work if they haven't got a body. <laughs> Nowhere to cut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so he's so he has he has. I, I, this, just to go back to my point, there is, there is one thing in this episode that I I really really liked that I uh, I feel was very positive, which is that he. So he's he's one guy. He's deaf, and he telepathically communicates with three interpreters, and it, the three interpreters thing is really well explained. It's basically three parts of his personality like there's like a handsome guy who interprets like the passionate parts yeah. of what he's saying there's a like a a, a, a technical guy who's yeah, he's like who's a logic kind of, like rational thinking yeah and then there's there's a, a woman who kind of bridges the gap between them so that you will never misinterpret what he says based on which part which one of them is saying it yeah yeah but at, at the beginning they, they go to meet this guy reaver and so the, the three interpreters show up, and he gives Picard grief because he's because Picard starts speaking to the interpreters, and Riva goes, "No, you through the interpreter he says, no, you don't speak to them, you speak to me.' Yes, which I I don't know. I can imagine arseholes thinking that's a bit rude of that guy, but no, that's that's like a genuine issue um, that a lot of people with disabilities have is that people don't speak to them yeah if you're deaf and you've got an interpreter who does sign language or like yeah. translates for you which a lot, some de- a lot of deaf people who have to communicate a lot for like their job will do there's that is a, ser- a serious issue and a serious problem and it's, it's one of those things where it's like it's weird to see a social issue handled in star trek from the 80s and it not be like well-meaning but handled terribly but the fact that this is like a deaf guy really 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 helps yeah, and also, and Picard, once again, to his credit, immediately goes, sorry, that I didn't mean the offence. I, I understand that, yeah, that is shitty of me. I apologise. Yeah, let's, it's like my natural off. reflex has made me do nice. thing A, but I realise the polite thing to do is thing B, so I'm, mm. I'm sorry. Yeah, because that's all that people ask, is if you do something that's offensive, you just say sorry and then do the right thing. It's not yeah. hard. It's not tricky. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like how for the next 25 years, the polite thing will be... Yeah, you're right. That is a ghost in that photograph. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I love the. I've got in my notes that this bike guy is like he's the guy who negotiated the peace between the um, the Federation and the Klingons. He's basically Space Mo Molan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but there's a so there's a feeling of this that because like this, I think Worf says before. Like he existed, the the Klingons didn't have a word for peacemaker. 
which is weird to me because they, they must have had the words for peace and maker. Yeah, and also, do, do they not get HBO Max? No, I've got in my notes, weirdly, there are eight Klingon words for John Cena. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> And 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 yet only three words for invisible. <laughs> uh, so here's here's a question I have for you uh, uh, about this is a so we've regularly discussed on this podcast the concept that everyone should know that data exists. Yes, yeah. right. This is the guy who negotiated peace between the Klingons and the Federation, and when they meet him, they don't know that he's deaf. Or that he has this like chorus of like because did no like was this like like maybe the average person maybe the future all of your needs are met to the point where nobody reads the fucking news right maybe the, in which case I don't think Starfleet is a utopia I think that everyone in that society deserves to die and suffer hardship but how is that not covered at Starfleet like Academy yeah. like this is this guy and like a picture of him. Oh, by the way, he's an alien from a planet. This is their weird thing. I'm, I'm fi- I mean, obviously, in British schools, we learn very little about the Irish peace process because, because yeah. it well, would involve admitting that Britain was wrong. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> if the mediator in the Good Friday Agreement had been a psychic who speaks through three other people, I'm sure that they would have mentioned it. Yeah, like, like for example, a, a great example. If you are, if you are listening to this and you're from a different country, you might not know about this. But Mo Molan was the um, person who helped negotiate um, the peace deal in Northern Ireland, and famously at the time was going through cancer. She used to walk into a room, take her wig off, and throw it on the table to break the ice and break the tension. Right, that's a strange enough fact that pretty much everyone is aware of it, and it's not as strange as I telepathically communicate through these three dudes. <laughs> yeah, because Bo Bowler only does it through two. <laughs> it's not as impressive. Yeah, the, the logic guy died of the chemo. Uh... <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> oh. Did you, did you enjoy the foreshadowing at the beginning when we see the little 3D model of the planets? Yes, yes, I did. Yeah. Uh, I like that. Yeah, like this orbit can't possibly work, but somehow it does. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, and I like that. That's not in any way related to what's going on. It's just Picard's trying to work out a weird thing from a previous planetary system they've been to. Yeah, I like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- this is what I have wrote down. Right, I, to go back to what you just said, I've just noticed my note. My note: uh, The Federation must have known that Reva speaks through three other people, right? Surely, whatever lunatic admiral sent Picard on this mission, just as Picard was about to leave, would have been like, oh, actually, Jean-Luc, hold on, one more thing. <laughs> yeah, Admiral Columbo. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but then, I, I also really like, sorry, I've, I've kind of, I, as, as, as a man who, who, who thinks about these things, I really liked how, after they come up onto the ship, Picard doesn't send... Picard doesn't doesn't radio the bridge before they beam up to be like, listen guys, just so that everyone's aware, here's what's happening. Here's yeah. a deaf guy that telepathically... Well, if it's not him who calls for the teleport. He gets Worf to do it. And I'm 90% certain that that's just because Picard wanted to see if Worf can count. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, he, so he pops up, right? 
and and Picard comes on, Reva comes on the bridge first, and everyone's like, "What's this?" And then Picard comes out, and out loud says to the entire bridge crew, "Here's here's what the here's what the thing is. Here's he's a he's deaf, and he communicates through these three other people." And I really like that he did that out loud. Like yeah. it feels more respectful than just let's let's let everybody know in secret so that they're not awkward about it. He's worried that if he'd like radioed ahead, Pulaski would have just started deleting all of the subtitles off of all of the films because <laughs> she hates anyone who falls outside the norm. Uh, <laughs> at one, by the way, speaking of fucking Pulaski, so that we can get this out of the way. Uh, yeah. At one point near the end of this episode, Pulaski says that she can cure, quote unquote, Jordy. Like she can, she could potentially give him regular vision, but he'd lose like. 20% of what he can do right now. Yeah. Um, and Jordy obviously says, no, that's because Reva gives him a bit of a pep talk. Like, you're not weird, you're just different. And uh, I think that Pulaski only wanted to cure Jordy so that he looks less like a robot. <laughs> what you don't hear is after she says, like, all of that, he's like, oh, so you could cure my blindness. He goes, not only that, I could probably make you white. And he's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> And that what is actually because nobody's ever told Geordie that he's black. <laughs> What's that Chappelle character? Clayton Bixby? Clayton Bixby. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's on the first episode of Chappelle Show. And the... Jesus. Look, look, I'm not saying Dave Chappelle is unproblematic, but the balls... If, if you don't like Chappelle Show, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Can I just say... Personally, um, if I like um, back when I was single, uh, and I saw uh, like there was a girl that I liked, and I wanted to like introduce myself, have a bit of a chat, see how things are going, I would like in the early stages of that that the girl not know that my main goal is to fuck her, and I feel that that is uh, being held back for Reva by the fact that he literally has. One of his interpreters who might as well be called Mr. Fuckboy. <laughs> <laughs> Did you recognise that that actor, by the way? I, I I I clocked a familiarity, but I can't place him. He the thing I know him from is that he played Richard Nixon in Doctor Who in the oh. Smith years. Oh, and he was also in Jonathan Creek, wasn't he? He was mm. the he, he was the magician he who gets... replaced Anthony Stewart Head after the first That's episode. Right. Yeah. Because right, yeah. they realised they didn't have Anthony Stewart head money. <laughs> Something went, actually, staging all of these elaborate murders costs a lot more money than doing your normal whodunit. So uh, we're going to have to wind back on getting a Buffy alumni. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, there's a bit in this episode I love, which is... Um, there's two parts that I... Uh, so, yeah, as we have pointed out, they've been down to the planet to like talk to people... And um, one of the people goes, no, no peace, and shoots Reva's chorus. And then they beam back up, and Reva's like, those people weren't just my chorus. They were my employees. Uh, sorry, friends. He says friends. Yep. But, they, but yep. he, he, he's a king, and he doesn't know. Um, and um, <laughs> when that happens, he's communicating with, like, a gestural... Like, Troy can, like, is kind of interpreting, because you can pick up on the emotions and stuff. Um, but he's communicating with a gestural language. And, like, so, like... Picard literally just says to Data, oh, he's using some sort of sign language. I need you to go learn all sign languages. And Data's like, right, be back in a minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. um, but also, he wants to, like, 
tell like the guy's freaking out obviously he's had like a big part of his identity ripped away and Picard wants to like like explain to him and we know Reva can lip read as well mm-hmm. but he's trying to communicate with him and it's clearly just like Patrick Stewart trying to do like the drama of the moment but he grabs him by the head and shouts at him you are not alone we can hope yeah. this and I'm just like shouting's not gonna help <laughs> <laughs> is that what Picard thinks death is like, just, have you tried? Have you tried listening harder? <laughs> yeah. What is it? Yeah. Yeah. What does he think that if he puts the hands? Because Riva at one point rings up the the the, the kind of I, 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 my brain is immediately going towards the word trope. I don't know if that's appropriate, but the idea that deaf people hear music uh, through vibrations, like yeah. they hear it through feeling. So he's sitting on the ship, and he's saying, "This ship makes." I, I, I can't remember the exact line, but he says something along the lines of, "This ship makes a beautiful song." Yeah, as it flies, um, and uh, Troy, who he's obviously trying to fuck with that line, um, yeah, it says, "Oh, I, I didn't even notice." Do you think Picard just thinks, "I know how I'll get through to this guy. I'll put my hands on his head so that he can feel the vibrations of me screaming in his face." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and like, and Troy's there like, no, as I told you, Captain, he can read lips. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ensign Jensen gets quite a lot of stuff to do in this episode. How, <laughs> because when they go down to the planet, Reva says, we need a table. Right, I love that we're in sync enough that we both like pick up on stuff like this because <laughs> because i've got the i've got written down here they need a table to negotiate at or kill aslan on <laughs> why why is it just a big because he calls it he calls it into engineering yeah. he's like engineering can you be at the table and it's a big stone table i'm like why was that engineering's job <laughs> Yeah. Also, it's it's barely stone. It's made of metal, and then the fucking the fucking torches are just metal torches with a stone on top. Yeah, yeah. Laura hated them. Like she she <laughs> she brought it up more than once. I really fucking hate those torches. I see. In here's the thing that I would do. Like I would. Why isn't? Can't the cargo bay of the Enterprise fit like a fucking conference room that they can beam down to the planet, like a big metal structure? That like they beam down, it sits in a certain place, and it's got everything in it, and like, you know, like a nice, a nice surroundings keep everybody calm and relaxed. But he's like, no, no, just out here on a hill. Also, <laughs> when he's picking the place to thing, he's like, oh, we need to beam in on top of this hill. It's the best place to do it. And then when they do beam in, it's it's clear on top of a hill was written in the script. And then the people like making it were like, well, we can't afford on top of a hill. Yeah. Would inside a canyon be okay? And then they never changed it. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, we 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 don't have look. We don't have Anthony Stewart head money, right? What what we can do is we can make the plot. We can make the sky orange, but only in some shots. <laughs> I I I personally I think that that what there is is down in Jensen's station that like this because this because we. Obviously, we only chime in on the Enterprise adventures, like occasionally. Like, like we only get to see certain snapshots of what they got up to. But presumably, they're doing this quite a lot, right? They are explorers. They are peacekeepers. So presumably, they occasionally do need to mediate. And I'm sure that beaming down a conference table is something that happens so often um, that there would just be a button on Jensen's giant replicator that says "conference table," right? Yeah. But. Because Jensen is a lazy bastard, 
he just designed one, and any time they they beat they they call him up and they go, we need a wooden conference table. He's like, uh, all right, yeah, boop, right, and then they just get that fucking Aslan table, <laughs> and and no one no one ever questions it because what you what you're gonna do? You're gonna argue with Jensen. <laughs> he's the only he's got he's the only one with the codes for the industrial replicator. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so he's just like press press the button for the Aslan table. Off he goes. Smoke a bit of a relaxation light. Jamming. Yeah, I've I got the impression that when we cut into Picard's office at the beginning of the episode and he's watching the orbit of those three planets, that's that we've caught him immediately after the personal relaxation light has occurred there. That's <laughs> is equivalent of a lava lamp. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, you can tell when Troy walks in and he go, and Picard rather than saying anything profound just goes, "Well, that's weird, isn't it?" <laughs> This don't make any sense. And then, like Riker's like, "Oh, is there a reason you're looking at?" It? He's like, "No, nope, just off my tits." Anyway, what was he? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just look at it. Well, sorry, look at it's just going round and round. <laughs> it's, it's great. Right. Okay. We, we haven't talked about like these idea, like the actual idea. Yet. Is that the idea is like, once his chorus has been killed, he's going to beam down to the planet and by teaching uh, both sides uh, to communicate with him via a sign sign language. They're going yeah. to learn and have a joint thing because he's got a whole view. Uh, like he's he's got some really good points about like war. And he's like, they've been at war for fifteen hundred years. It doesn't matter. Like they go, do you want to read the files? Like it doesn't matter what it says in there because it's going to say it's like over like land or this, and it's not. It's it, at this point, it's personal. Um, yeah. So there's no point reading that. And I, I was like, oh, that's a good point. Uh, I kind of like that, and I agree with that. They sort of come back to that in the first episode of Strange New Worlds. Mm-hmm. There's there's like a similar idea. Which is quite interesting. But just I'm, with a lot more lens flare. <laughs> I need to start watching Strange New Worlds. I've heard that the fourth episode is being like hailed as like one of the best Star Trek episodes in about twenty years. Nice. Uh, um yeah, it's like them fighting the Gorn in like a nebula for the entire Ooh. episode. And yeah, I'm I'm fully on board with it. Uh I, I need to get on Strange New Worlds. I've heard it's great. I, I also like um so in this episode I really enjoyed is Worf's appreciation of the tactical uses of sign language. Yeah. <laughs> like when they're learning it and he's like, Oh, it's a seek uh, a, a type of communication that requires no you to make no sound, allowing you a better chance of sneaking up on your enemy. I was like, that's fucking brilliant. Like, I like the idea of yeah. Worf going back and teaching the entire Klingon Empire. Like, oh we need to learn everybody needs to learn sign language. Laura brought up a point about that. If the Klingons are a warrior race and they're constantly fighting with each other, the fact that they don't understand that you can communicate silently using hand signals means that they give so little of a shit about being stealthy that they've never had to figure that out. They just scream the orders at each other. (laughs) They've also got invisible ships, Mark. (laughs) Yeah, invisible ships are the sign language of, of of space. What what is the sign language for just shouting kapla and trying to stab someone? <laughs> Can you sign? It doesn't really work for the Klingons though, because you can't sign if you a bat left is a two handed weapon, uh, so yeah. you can't really you go what to sign and do, they hear a clang. <laughs> yeah, they could come up with a sort of semaphore situation oh. using the bat left. Yeah, tie little flags on the end of your bat left. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then one month out of the year, you can turn that into the pride flag. <laughs> but only in markets where that is going to lead to an increase on the bottom line. 
I, I, like the Klingons, the Klingons, uh, if you want to talk about a, a race in Star Trek that would have the pride flag for Pride Month, it's the Ferengis. They would exactly know how to monetize a social justice for their own <laughs> end. <laughs> oh, uh, we have to go, sorry, Laura brought up, we, we, we haven't done uh, MVP promotion, <laughs> demotion for a while. Okay, Troy, hands down. Troy's well, great. Troy's MVP, right? But we'll come yeah. back to that in a moment. Uh, I want to command. I want to uh, promote Commander Data uh, or Lieutenant Data. <laughs> Lieutenant Commander Data. Lieutenant Commander, right. yeah. Because there's a really lovely moment because he goes and learns sign language so that he can understand what Reva is saying and then interpret it. Yeah. To the rest of the crew, and and Reva brings up the point that we were talking about earlier. This won't work because the yeah. three, the chorus, like had a very specific. Uh, role, so just doing it through him doesn't it, it doesn't convey the, the same message. Yeah, it's you but, get the literal text of what he's saying, but not the tone, intonation, subtext, or emotions, which data cannot do. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, so that for 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 a stretch of the episode, data is literally just being an interpreter, um, and Troy comes into him with the the idea, you know, turning a disadvantage into an advantage, and that's where he gets the. The, yeah. I don't know what the rare, but the roaring fact the 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 Ra and the Brits of that planet. Uh, if we teach them in another language, they will learn to communicate. Blah 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 blah. But he then says thanks to Troy, and then he says thanks to Data, which Data interprets as him just saying thanks in general. And then Data realizes that he's actually thanking him. Yeah. And Data has there's a lovely little oh thanks great <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it does. It it is following up from him, literally saying, "Data is a fine machine, but a machine nonetheless." So, yeah, it's mixed bad. Um, but but Comes yeah, from Pulaski's from that planet. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, it's I, I put I put Pulaski down for a demotion for not like having a five minute chat with like Troy before and being like, "I'm going to tell Geordi I can fix his blindness." Do you think you'd be into that? <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I, I, I said to I said to you in our text chat, and I, I genuinely am starting to believe that the the Troy the the general perception among Star Trek fans that Troy is a shit character, I think, is rooted in the fact that this aired in a time period where maybe the idea of what Troy was as a character was a bit ahead of its time, mm. because like in this episode, it's Troy who talks him round, like it's not. The chorus dying doesn't isn't the, like that's not. He's like, oh, there's no hope for peace here. They killed my chorus. It's not that. It's like it's yeah. a crisis of confidence he's having about losing his communication method. And Troy's the one who's like, no, no, and like uses his own words and explains and like gets him and g's him up and gets him to come down. And like he's essentially going to attempt to achieve peace through charades, which <laughs> I don't know if you. I mean, thank God it's not Pictionary. Um, <laughs> <laughs> And he just draws dignity. <laughs> Until they take the windmill out, Mark, this is going to keep happening. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, Troy is absolutely MVP. As I have said on this podcast before, I am. I, I've not read this anywhere. This is this is purely my own opinion, right? This is purely purely a hot take based on my, and I, I it makes me feel old to say modernist take on Star Trek: The Next Generation. Yeah, but I, I, I think that Troy is in there, whether intentionally or not, to act as a, as horrible as this sounds, an autism interpreter. Yeah, yeah, 
Because there's going to be a lot of people watching this whose em emotion centers of their brain don't work the same way as everyone else and maybe they can't pick up on things. But if you have a character who is able to actually voice those... Yeah. Um, those those things, then it makes a story deeper and, and more understandable. It, it's that annoying thing of like having to say, um, like stereotypes for the most part are. Uh, my problem with stereotypes isn't that for the most part they're not true. It's for the most part they're not useful. But, but yeah. uh, and there is like there is a certain stereotype, and I think it is worth noting, which is that people who are neurodivergent tend to like Star Trek, mm. and like you can because it's it's humanity being like assessed from a lot of different angles that you don't get in like when you get a bunch of normal people like neurotypical people in a show talking to each other you can't there might not be like an approach vector for somebody who's not neurotypical so you do get a lot of neurodivergent people who like star trek that is it is a stereotype but it is also a fact <laughs> and um yeah i think troy being there as like a like a handy like emotions subtitles for yeah. is something that it's easy to sneer at like we go, well, like oh, he's acting suspicious. It's easy for us to go. What would have been nice in an episode would have been like somebody acting really suspicious, and then have Troy to go, no, he's completely trustworthy. It's like, but he seems to be acting suspicious. No, that species, that's their trustworthy acting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess we kind we kind of had that in the Okana episode, didn't we? Because at no point in the Okana episode did Troy turn around and say, "This guy isn't all that he seems." No, no, she's like, Wait, oh, we just as as people who. Have watched are, a film, <laughs> yeah. As as people, I you know who are at least m mostly neurotypical, um, we obviously saw a character who is too good to be true, and we were like, well, he has to be bad. That's that's the rules of storytelling. Yeah, yeah. You can count on Troy. She's like a she's she's like a sort of litmus test, like a a sort of Geiger counter. One of one of those little badges that they wear. When they yeah. when they go into radioactive ruins, <laughs> the the issues that the issues with Troy aren't issues with Troy as a character. It's issues with writers not like because there's a lot of like oh well this would be like when Troy would be really useful she's not around and like Troy has to like turn up in places that she shouldn't really be to be like oh they're hiding so captain and it's just like write the episodes better or yeah. or what I mean like later on in Star Trek Troy after there's a uh, I can't remember the the episode but there's a period where Troy changes from wearing her, like what she's wearing to wearing a uniform mm. and like they and i think if they'd had her in uniform and they'd had her be referenced as lieutenant troy rather than counselor troy and had her as well like oh she's actually like it goes Riker, data like picard Riker, data troy as like yeah. a command structure so that you've got a reason for her to be there like because that would make sense if you like so like in this Riker's doing in this specific episode, they have a whole bit about Riker being like not comfortable with Picard beaming down because it's been established that's his job, so the captain is safe on the ship, mm -hmm. um, and like that's the idea of like oh no, Riker like, would take Data with him because Data's really really smart, but also has a lot of physical capabilities, so they work well as a team. But the idea that like for diplomatic stuff, which is more Picard, and they bring Jordy because he can tell who's a stunt double and who isn't. <laughs> yeah, uh <laughs> he can tell when a fight's about to start. <laughs> Because they've swapped out the old man for a thirty-year-old. But yeah, but like having like Troy as the second in command for diplomatic stuff, yeah. And like having her there, like and be an official, I think would have made it much easier to put her in the situations they wanted to put her in. But yeah, Troy's um, Troy's is really good. Like on a rewatch, Troy's a really good character who yeah. doesn't get enough credit. Fucking 
Fuck the patriarchy. <laughs> um, I tell you what though, there, there is one bit of this when when he's on his like date with Troy. Yeah, and he sends away two of his chorus. It's like rational thinking and harmony. Not going to need you tonight. <laughs> no, just need my dick. And, and Troy, Troy gets a bit. She, she gets a bit uncomfortable because she's a bit like, "When is he going to leave?" Which I, which is an incredible pickup maneuver, because <laughs> it, it really puts it on her. It puts the onus on her. Yeah. Because at the point where she's like, "When is this guy fucking off?" That's when Reva can be like, "Oh, it's on." Having having the those three people there is the ultimate form of peacocking. Uh, it's like this guy is the intergalactic pickup artist. He 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 got peace between the Klingons and the humans using a significant amount of negging. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he used the A A A A three plus B three equals C three, the, the the mystery method, as as outlined in in the game. I I once tried to read the game and I gave up after about. A hundred pages of like a four hundred page book because it's like one of those books where it's like it's if you've ever not read the game the opening is like him crying to a psychologist and being like oh I could like I could and like oh no it's not him it's the it's another character yeah yeah and it's just like yeah "Yeah, this is a miserable life like if you pretend my view on the pickup artist thing and this might seem controversial but I'm just gonna say it if you go into a bank with a gun and you and you point that gun at people and you get money out of the bank. You're a bank robber. And if you go into the gun, sorry, you go to the bank and you use dishonesty and misdirection and con man like techniques to steal the money from the, the, the bank, you're you're still a bank robber. And if you put a gun against the woman's head and make her have sex with you, you're a rapist. And if you trick her into having sex with you, you're still a rapist. Um, that's <laughs> fair play. Yeah, I actually, I actually quite like the game. I've, I've read it multiple times, and I've read the other ancillary books to it. Um, I, I, I find it very interesting. It's a, it's a really interesting look at the human condition in psychology. Yeah. And he's he he was quite a good writer, right? Neil Strauss is an incredible writer in two thousand and five. <laughs> Because I recently, I had to give up on his latest book, which is, what is it called? The Truth, which is kind of, it's almost, it, 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 it's, um, it markets itself almost as like an apology for the game. Right, okay. It's kind of a thing of, i done this for, for 20 years before I realised that it wasn't making me happy. So I had to go and uh, check myself into like a sex rehab facility. To, to go over my issues and then literally the, the rest of the book as far as I got to was just how, how much pussy he's getting in that sex rehab facility <laughs> it's the problem with horny jail there's too many horny people though <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly yeah and he's and, and there's 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 things there's things in the book that made me go I'm definitely never going to ask Neil Strauss his opinion on like trans people hmm uh, because there's certain phrases and ways that he puts things where I'm like, "Oh, that's a bit Ricky Gervais." Um, so, I, so I haven't, I haven't read that one. So, I, ironically, they, they kind of full stop on that story that I quite like. 
uh, I can't get through because the guy's <laughs> such a fucking weirdo. <laughs> yeah, um, like, like, my thing is, I say the, the game, it, like, if, uh, it's not a badly written book, it's a very well written book, but it's just it's an insight into a, an area of like human psychology that I just don't. Yeah. I, was, like, I, I get if you find it fascinating, but for me, it was like a big. It's like a. It's like I'm certain there are people out there who read the diaries of like fucking serial killers, and they're like, "Oh, this is interesting and fascinating," but this is not for me. It's like, yeah, and then, <laughs> and then they also go and use those techniques in bars, <laughs> but to arguably worse outcomes. Oh no, there's 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 the book I'd read if some if a serial killer like if you're on death row and you've been caught and you've not been gunned down by the police, like just write. Write the manual. <laughs> this is yeah. how you serial kill. I'll read the shit. I'm not going to do it, but I'll be fascinated in reading it. Like that's a. Yeah. <laughs> and do you know what? Call it the game. Because <laughs> it's such a generic title that obviously they couldn't copyright that. <laughs> as long as you make the, as long as you make it the, the the title, as long as you make the the book cover different enough, there's nothing they could do about it. Well, it, I imagine the book cover would be very different because if it's a manual for serial killing, I imagine the book cover will be made from human skin. <laughs> uh, is that everything we've got to talk about? This because uh, yeah, it's like it's like I say it's I, like there's one of the reviews I read of this episode. Like I was on the Wikipedia page for it, and one of the episodes we like described it as eye-rollingly sincere. I I get that uh, that yeah, 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 and I think it's but the thing is as well, you kind of needed that at this point. Yeah, like in the uh, like I, I don't want to do like oh we're so much more advanced than people of the past, but it was the eighties, and yes we are. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the eighties was fucking terrible. Um, we like had all of the technology of the modern world, but no understanding of how to use it properly and respectfully. But yeah, you just kind of and needed... luckily, yeah. As as I was talking about to Laura last night while we were watching Stranger Things, we are we are coming to the end of eighties nostalgia. Yeah, we're, yeah. We're getting, because nineties nostalgia is now much more profitable. Yep, yep, yeah. So I'm looking, I'm looking forward to nineties nostalgia. The nineties was actually yeah. all right. Uh, yeah. But you say that the the real sad thing, Mark, is that the nostalgia cycle works in such a way that in thirty years' time, we'll get people who are nostalgic for like the the noughties and the tens. But the noughties and the tens was just eighties nostalgia. <laughs> so yeah. just so, there will be people who are nostalgic for TV shows about stuff that they never experienced in the first place. Yeah, yeah. I I would argue though. Um, that that has sort of already happened because the, the I, I I don't know I'm not an I'm not a nostalgia scientist, um, but I there are there are things in the eighties that surely must have been nostalgic callbacks to something else, yeah, and so that must have been the case there, and that's why like when my, I mean my my grand my my granddad was probably moaning about this in the early two thousand, I wasn't fucking listening, um, <laughs> but but I'm sure that he he likely had a point about it. Yeah. So I, I, I think the nostalgia cycle will be fine. Because you know what? See, by the time it gets to its second run-through, we'll be dead. Yay! It's always something to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. Oh, thanks, I. Cheers. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.
The Captain's Log is performed by Mark O'Neill and Eddie Edwards. You can follow both of them on Twitter and Instagram. Mark's at RealMarkO'Neill and Eddie is at Ed Edwards Comedy. If you like the podcast, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter and now on YouTube at Captain's Log. And we have a Facebook page as well. Or if you really like what we do here, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Captain Slog.